This is your ADD cast. Welcome, everyone, to the ADD cast. I am your host, Paul Fisher. And I'm glad that you're listening. Sorry there's been such a lag between episodes, but uh, as they say, work and life and, well, all sorts of other shit, well, it just gets in the way sometimes. But we are back. We've got some really great content, some original stuff for you. Coming up in the future, we're going to have some episodes from one of my favorite bands, Tempest. We're going to play some of their music as well as an interview with some of the band members. But today, we are launching in on part one of our Fathers of the Podcast novel series. We are going to be talking with Mark Jeffries, the author and podcaster of The Pocket and the Pendant. And at the end of the episode, you're going to have a part one of the three-part series, which will also include Scott Sigler, and T. Morris. And now, without further ado, here is Mark Jeffries live with us by phone. How are you doing, Mark? Hey, I'm doing all right, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. No problem. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, uh, my name is Mark Jeffrey. Uh, <laughs> the novel's called The Pocket and the Pendant, as you said. Um, it's essentially a uh, sci-fi fantasy book, uh, much in the same vein as something like uh, Harry Potter or Star Wars, um, but I also compare it to a, uh, a British novel called His Dark Materials, um, and, and personally I feel it's, it's probably closest in terms of tone and complexity to, uh, to Dark Materials. Um, but uh, the basic idea is that um, you, you basically have a, a kid uh, or a young man of 12 named Max Quick, and the world stops around him uh, on a particular day. And uh, by that I mean time stops. And, uh, and he finds himself alone in this, in this weird time-stopped world. He has no idea why time has stopped or even why he is free to move around. Um, and he quickly discovers that there are other kids who, like him, are able to move around in the time-stopped world. He, but he runs into them, like, one at a time. And, um, and pretty quickly they discover that there's something special about each one of them that gives them this ability to move around in the time stop world. Um, and it relates to the reason of, of why uh, the world has stopped around them. And you basically have this ever-widening mystery uh, where they get basically a clue at a time. And, and just the scope of the thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon they discover the reason for um, you know, why time has stopped. And uh, something about their identities, which is not what they expected. Um, and they then have to, it's set up to them basically to uh, be proactive and take action to right the wrong, which is causing the, the, uh, the temporal disturbance, if you will, uh, as well as uh, take care of another matter, which they discover along the way, which obviously I don't want to reveal because that would sort of be telling. Yeah, that, that, would, that would ruin it for everybody. We can't tell yeah, that. We don't want that. Well, I, I should warn people, we're probably going to give a few spoilers away, because uh, I'm up to chap uh, episode 7 right now, 
and I it's uh, it's Saturday, and I started listening on Thursday, and I have to tell you, uh, the podcast has gripped me like no other podcast novel that I've listened to. Wow, that's high praise. Thank you. You're very welcome. It's it. Um, I I screen a lot of stories and stuff for my eight year old nephew, and I think he would absolutely love this, but. Um, I am I am digging on it something fierce. I have kicked a whole lot of other podcasts to the curb to uh, to listen to this, and probably been listening to it when I shouldn't have at work too. <laughs> That's the best time to listen to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, it's it's better I've than working. About, I've tracked uh, the number of downloads that it's gotten, and um, so far I'm tracking about four hundred thousand. Uh, wow, it's been out for a year, so. You know, it's had a long time to sort of build up. But, uh, you know, we both, all three of us started, you know, Scott Sigler, T. Morris, and I all started podcasting almost around the same moment. There's some argument as to who was first. I know I was not first, but that way. So I'm not, a, I'm not one of those who's claiming who's been first. You know, Sigler claims the first, and uh, there's another guy in Scotland who claims to be the first. I'm not, to be honest with you, I don't even know. But in any event, we all started around February of um, 2005. And so, you know, all the novels have, and then we all sort of completed around um, June, June or July, something like that in 2005. And so um, the novels have all, all three of them have been out now for, God, where are we, where are we right now? It's been, yeah, about a year, a little over a year. A little over a year, yeah. So um, um, how, how long did it take you to, to get all of the uh, episodes done? Um, well, the first one, uh, so the, the, it was interesting the order in which I did them. Um, I actually originally, how I got into this whole thing of, of, of podcasting my audiobook was um, I ran into um, one of the guys from Dragon Page, Evo Terra, at a uh, writer's conference. And uh, but long story short is he wrote me into doing it. And uh, I had previously begun recording the first chapter of, of the book as an audiobook um, for another project that I won't get into what it was, but it was something we, I didn't end up doing with these folks. But um, there, was, there was sort of a Silicon Valley company that was being formed to do a new form of audiobook, basically. And uh, they asked me if they, if they could use, if I would read the pocket and the pendant, and they would share part of the profits with me. Um, and I said, yeah, sure. So I, I, I went up to a professional recording studio and actually did the first, and I never, I never even listened to an audiobook before. I'm not like one of those people who's really big on listening to audiobooks. Um, but I, so I went up to the studio and, uh, and with someone who had been with, you know, real authors recording real audiobooks before and kind of got coached on, on how to, you know, how to do it while I was, uh, you know, in the studio. And, uh, and so I got some, I got some really good advice and some really good experience. And I got, and I, and I, and I ended up with like the first two chapters, uh, for the audiobook done and in the can. And I had these things with me when I ran into Evo. And I said, you know, well, you know, I have a, you know, I have an audiobook that I've started, an audiobook version of the Pocket Independent. And I let him listen to it. And he's like, oh, great. You have to do the rest of it. <laughs> and I, I really had no intention of sort of diving in like that. And so, um, but pretty quickly, Evo was like, look, I'll pump it on the Dragon Show if you do it. And I was, and, which has got a huge audience, especially in the sci fi fantasy world. And I was like, you know, how could I say no to that? So pretty quickly, I, uh, I found myself just sort of thrown in the deep end and, um, and having to produce an episode every week. So the answer to your question is, is um, there's 14 chapters. Actually, the first two chapters are one episode. So 
then it, so the, once the first episode was out there, then there were twelve weeks worth of you know forty five minutes an hour long. Uh, well, depending on the size of the chapter, but episodes to produce. Oh, and, I'm uh, horrified, man. I'm halfway through. I was hoping like <laughs> I was 10% through because I, uh, I, I kind of want this to run on forever. Well, the, um, uh, so the good news with that is that um, there is currently a discussion underway to make it into a television series. Really? And if that happens, yes. If cool. that happens, there will be 24 hours I will get to play with. Uh, to expand out on some of the parts of the novel I always wanted to expand on, but just felt it would be too long for the first novel. Um, you're sort of in the middle. There's, there's sort of a, um, an area where they're traveling across the United States. Yeah. And they eventually, uh, you know, I don't think I'm spoiling anything when I say they eventually, they get from a place called Stalin, California, eventually to New York City um, in this time-stopped world. And I wanted that journey to actually last a lot longer and for there to be a lot more sort of subplots and interactions and things. Um, but for this, you know, I felt that because there's, there's sort of a natural tendency to not pick, uh, for a lot of people, to not pick up a really thick book unless they already know uh, the characters and the content. Uh, it's it's it just basically, they you know, just from a sales perspective, people don't like big, giant books if they don't already know the characters. If they do, they love them. Uh, you'll notice, like, the first Harry Potter book is pretty small. Uh, whereas the later ones are, you know, encyclopedias. Yeah. And you don't really get the right to put out a book of that size until you're sort of proving yourself once. So I very consciously made the decision not to make Pocket that long. Um, although, but in my heart of hearts, I really wanted to, to expand out on that middle section. Um, so um, and so what's happening with the TV series is the following. Um, or so, uh, the, the rights to the Pocket and the Pendant uh, were optioned by a company called Secret Agent Productions. Uh, they're here in L.A. Their big project is the Wind in the Willows that they're doing for Disney with like um, like a $180 million budget. So, you know, they're a real production company. It's not just you know, a couple kids at USC Film School or something. Um, but they uh, they basically have shopped it to Warner Brothers, uh, actually as of a week and a half ago. And uh, the reaction was positive, but with these things, nothing is... You know, nothing's certain until it's done. Yep. So, um, but it, it does look very good. You know, we are in television pitch season. So even though the book was optioned last summer, we've had to kind of wait until this time of year, this year, in order for anything to happen. Um, and so uh, it's, it's being run around town right now. It's, and, uh, it's There's a lot of different people that's being shot to. Um, and, you know, I should know by the end of May, because if this works out, it'll be on the air in the fall. That so, would be wicked cool. Which would be cool. <laughs> it would be wicked cool, exactly. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously keeping my fingers crossed, but, you know, realizing that, you know, this could go any direction at any moment. Um, there's that. And the second thing is, is that um, I've actually completed the second novel, uh, which is called The Two Travelers in the series. And that one is a big, fat book. Uh, I decided that, uh, I decided the second one would be the big, would be a bigger one. And that one is, uh, it's about 200,000 words, um, which is, um, yeah, I guess, you know, once again, I'd, I'd roughly compare it to the size of, like, Goblet of Fire or something like that. It's like that big size of book. It's a tome. Um, so, um, and, you know, and, and you can debate with me whether I've earned the right to <laughs> publish a big, giant book yet or not, but uh, I just felt like, what the hell, I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, just from what I've listened to so far, 
Um, yeah, you've earned the right. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I, I hate to so, go all fanboy over my guests, but um, you know this this is really my total exposure to your work started on Thursday, and uh, I just I've never devoted that much time to something that fast. I'm I'm the kind of guy that gets into things slowly. And, no, I get that. I got that about you. Actually, I know you listen to a lot of stuff, so uh, high praise. <laughs> I was actually stunned when you told me uh, where you were. I had expected you to be, you know, pretty early on, you know, in the novel, you know, maybe chapter two or three, you know, because that's a good three hour. You know, frankly, chapter two or three is not is no slouch. That's like you know, listening for three hours or something like that. So. Yep. But it it's uh, it's definitely top notch material, and. Uh, and we're going to pause for a moment here and take a little brat break break where's my i can't talk i can't bleh, 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 can't talk today um yeah so we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with author Mark Jeffrey good news everyone several years ago i tried to log on to AOL and it just went through Whee! we're online www.balticonpodcast.org Let the Balticon Podcast take you inside the minds of the people who make science fiction happen. Get the scoop on what's happening in science fiction from authors, techies, and scientists. We guarantee that you'll be entertained and enlightened. The Balticon Podcast. Great interviews with the people who make science fiction happen. Authors, fans, and honest-to-God scientists. And we play music at the end. Search for Balticon in iTunes or visit us at www.balticonpodcast.org. If Copperfield I must, then Copperfield I shall. The President of the United States is dead. He was murdered in the morning sunlight by a four-year-old boy. Those are the opening words of Seventh Son, Book One, Descent, the podcast novel written by J.C. Hutchins, and it doesn't let up from there. Join the legion of Seventh Son fans who are already following the story of seven human clones, John, Father Thomas, Kilroy 2.0, and the others, as they hunt down the man behind the president's murder, the man they were cloned from, codenamed John Alpha. David Moldauer, critic for TheDragonPage.com, hails Seventh Son as a taut, tense sci-fi thriller. Gary P. Dilly Leland says, I definitely recommend it to anybody out there who's a sci-fi lover. Even Scott Sigler, author of Earthcore and Infection, says, Seventh Son's opening episode is the shock and awe of patio books. The first five minutes will have you hooked. So subscribe to the patio book everyone's talking about. Join the descent. Find Seven Sun at jchutchins.net and at patiobooks.com. Say something, anything. Test one, two, three. Anything but that. And we are back with author Mark Jeffrey. So, Mark, I got to ask you about the uh, the music that you used in the podcast. Ah, yes, of course. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of weird. Like, I'm, I'm probably uh, really pretty unique in the uh, in, in the way I, I in the use of the music. Yeah, uh, just um, just to let everybody know, uh, most 
uh, audio books, most patio books. Uh, if there's any music at all, there's a little at the beginning, at the end, maybe uh, a couple of little pieces, depending on what's happening in the background. Mark has this this intensely dramatic music going on throughout the entire uh, uh, length of the episode, and it, it really sets the tone. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what was going through my head. Um, the you know, well, first of all, as I said. Before I started doing my own audiobook, I had never listened to an audiobook before until, uh, I just, you know, it, I don't know, I'm the sort of person I like to read a real book. So, um, and audiobooks are just too slow, and I don't really have a long drive in my life anywhere, so, you know, it doesn't make sense for me. Um, so the first thing I did was I started listening to a lot of audiobooks, uh, just sort of sampling them to see, you know, what they were kind of like when I started doing the, you know, the first couple chapters. And what I found was that, well, a couple things. One, the quality of the readings was all over the map. Some of them were pretty darn good. Some of them were just really bad. Um, and it had no, no necessary relationship to the fame or the, the, uh, or the, con- or the successfulness of the book itself. Um, you know, you could just as easily find a bad Stephen King reading as you could, you know, yeah, and, so. and and you can find really excellent readings of really bad books, and and really bad readings of really excellent books. It's just it, it's all over the map, and that's the professional stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's really it struck me as really weird as, as sort of the, the state of the industry as being like really. Um, it was just odd, and so, um, and then the other thing was is that I felt that I didn't really like the straight reading, um, and and I think maybe. You know, I love books, and I and frankly, these days, I think television is pretty darn good. Um, <laughs> a lot of people probably disagree with me, but I honestly think that there's a lot of shows out there now that are far better than than sort of the things that I grew up with on, on television. Things yeah, I'm Black, uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, there's some actually really good stuff. Oh, not another and, 24 fan. I, I haven't watched it yet, but T T Morris yeah. is uh, he's he's uh, I think he would he would go broke back for. Uh, for Jack Bauer. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really frightening thought. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to take. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so, yeah, I mean, really, it is, it's great. I think we actually have only recently gotten into it in the last couple months or so. I, I sort of, I picked up the first season on DVD uh, when I was sick uh, for a bit and started watching and I just was like, holy crap, this is great. So, uh, but anyway, um, I, I really wanted to the thing about uh, audiobooks that struck me was is that they didn't the dramatic tension that's po- that's possible in television. Uh, you just don't get that in audiobooks, and I just thought that that was stupid. It, there was no reason why you couldn't do that. Um, and so, and, and part of that was was that uh, part of the reason for that was that there was no music. And so I searched around uh, the internet looking for um, music I could license to sort of bed the entire episode, so it would feel like you're listening to a TV show, more than, you know, listening to some dude reading, and, and that was really what I was trying to create, and uh, and I was stupid enough and inexperienced enough with audiobooks that there wasn't anyone around to tell me that I couldn't do it, and uh, which was, you know, probably a good thing, and so um, and so I bought this music by a guy named Bjorn Lynn, uh, who I had never heard of before, I just basically went around sampling a whole bunch of music, and all of it sounded pretty cheesy, you know, old Doctor Who music is what I, what I used to call it. <laughs> um, 
you know, like synthesizer, over-the-top kind of stuff from the 80s, you know, what it sort of struck me as, most of it. Yeah. And then I found Bjorn Lewis music, which was more kind of X-Files, uh, Matrix kind of feeling stuff. And, uh, and it was just really good and really rich. And it was just awesome. Yeah, and, it, it so reminds me of a movie soundtrack. Yeah, it really did. And so it was exactly what I was looking for. Um, yet it wasn't something that was as recognizable as, you know, X-Files music or, you know, it wasn't wasn't something you'd specifically heard before, obviously, but, um, I used, uh, mostly an album by Bjorn Lind called Urban Darkness. Um, most of the tracks on there from there, there's about five or six other tracks on there. It's all Bjorn Lind. Everything that I used is from Bjorn. Um, and, uh, there's, there's some, there's about five or six other tracks I bought from him from other pieces, but for the most part, it's, it's Urban Darkness. And then I, I sort of separated it out into, you know, I tried to find themes for certain characters. Yeah, I don't stick, I don't stick totally to it, but I, you know, but then I mixed all the music in underneath the readings. Once I was done editing the readings, I would then go back and mix in music underneath it. Now, the reaction to this has been varied. Some people love it and some people really hate it. Some people think it really detracts from the, from the reading. Uh, and, and frankly, I've, I've gotten email both ways. And uh, and, it, and it does seem to be a split decision. Well, it's, it's when, pretty when, much 50-50. when I first started listening to it, I did find it a little bit distracting, and and then I started feeling that uh, that that emotional edge that you get from music. Uh, yeah, you know, like in the background of a of a TV show, and it started becoming a lot more transparent to me. And, you know, I, I it really kind of let me immerse myself in the whole experience. Yeah, that's, that's sort of, you know, that's what I thought would happen. And, that's, and when I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, this worked. This was an experiment, and it worked. Um, but some people, it's just too jarring from the norm. I, I've sort of not snapped a grid, if you will. Uh, you know, and these are people who listen to a lot of audiobooks, and that's suddenly something that sounds different. So, you know, it's, some people find it jarring. And yeah, that's just, you know, that's just the way it is. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's hard to do. I will tell you, producing one of those episodes is a lot harder than just not doing, uh, you know, than just doing a straight reading and mixing it down. Uh, they, each one took me about eight to nine hours to do. Now, do you, do you lay in the bed music after you're done with the reading or at the same time? No, <laughs> I do it. So this, here's the order in which I do things. Um, I do the reading first. Um, and then I go back and edit out the eyes and all that stuff. Um, and, and sometimes I do retakes on things if I'm not happy with how the voice is sounding or, or, I, or I inadvertently do a different accent for somebody than I had done previously. Um, so, you know, pretty much do all that stuff and then get a, a good reading track done. Um, and, that, you know, that takes some time. And that's, that's usually 45 minutes to an hour of a reading. And then, um, and then I go back and add in the music, and each each track is usually two minutes to five minutes at a time. So I have to sort of, you know, add those in, and then I have to crossfade the tracks between one another, so they don't just sort of start up, you know, like like someone switching records, um, and uh, and make sure that it matches the action, so that it's so that the track, you know, the track breaks. Uh, you know, when they shift in terms of the tone of the music, there's a shift in terms of the tone of the story. So it's you know, it's not an easy thing. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of just sort of stupid grunt work is what it boils down to. Well, I, um, I, can, I can tell you from the uh, the patio book that we're putting together 
right now um, that you know we're doing a lot of sound effects and a little bit of music in it, and it's a lot of work. And to, to make the transition happen smoothly, so that so that the uh, the listener is unaware of it, um, that it it does take a lot of work. And uh, uh, you know, I, I think it came out great. So what happened was is that I actually did the first kind of five. I, I was learning how to operate um, audio equipment <laughs> during the first five episodes, um, and so as I and, and I got a lot better, obviously, at it as I went along. Um, and so by the time I got to the end of the book, I went back and listened to the first episode again because uh, I was thinking to myself, "Well, geez, so now I've got a lot better at this. Let's go see what the first episode sounds like." And I listened to it, and I was kind of horrified because I'd gotten so much better at, at doing all this stuff. <laughs> so I went back and I redid actually what you were listening to. Yeah. I went back and I redid the first five episodes from scratch, just because I, I just couldn't stand that they were not up to par for with the rest of it. So, um, so you're you're actually listening to the redone first five episodes um, from the original podcast, if you will. But but believe me, you're happy you are. So. Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. I'm I'm doing some other audio work right now, and. Uh, I learned so much by the time I got up to chapter, I think it's chapter 15, that I went back and started over. Yeah. Um, uh, just like my thought was that, you know, people are going to listen to the first, you know, the first chapter, and if they like it, they're going to keep going, and if they don't, they're not, you know, so I have to, but the best foot has to be forward in that first episode, so... So I really put a lot of work in to trying to make that sound good. Well, you, you definitely got me hooked, and... and uh, I want to I want to kind of speculate with you here on uh, who would be uh, your choices for actors uh, if this gets picked up as a TV series, unless of course you think that might jinx it. No, I'm I'm perfectly happy to play the cast of <laughs> the TV game. I've played it many times before, uh, informally of course. But um, um, so you just asking who who do I think would play? Well. well I, yeah, I mean, I for for Max Quick, the, I can't think of the kid's name who's on Surface. Um, the, yeah, I don't know that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, to be honest with you, the kids kids are usually cast uh, as unknowns. They usually don't go with known actors. Although you never, you know, sometimes you know, Haley Jail Osmond or whatever that kid's name is. You know, obviously, you know, he's great. <laughs> so you know, there, there are some kids that are names now, but. For the most part, from what I, my understanding is, is that is most of them are cast. Um, most of them are, are unknowns when they're cast. But I should actually mention with the television series that um, the, the kids will probably be aged up. Um, this hasn't been totally decided yet, but I think they will be you know closer to like you know sixteen, seventeen, than twelve, thirteen, which is the way they are in the book. Um, and I will say, in the, and I will reveal in the second book, uh, they are actually uh, like they think they're all seventeen, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but they're they're all in like high school, um, so uh, I didn't want to kind of do that. Well, year two at Hogwarts kind of thing. Yeah, it's like when they're twelve, and then they're thirteen, and they're fourteen. I didn't want to go that that sort of route. So, um, so so that there will probably be older kids. I, I guess what I'm trying to say. So, um, however, it's funny because I, I didn't when I was doing uh, Jonathan Rosewood Saranis, Johnny Siren. Um, I what. I, I sort of had a picture of one guy in my head, but then somebody asked me this exact question about him, and um, I suddenly said Jeremy Irons, Ooh. and it suddenly struck me that that was who I was thinking of, and I hadn't really even realized that. But See, that, 
Jeremy Irons would be the, the siren. I, I was thinking John Malkovich. Yeah, he could do it too. I mean, there's actually a couple different, there's, there's, different, there's several different takes on it, but Malkovich would be great too, obviously. Yeah. And he's, he's sort of in the, he's got the right kind of energy, the right kind of weirdo and, energy for it. And, so. and that's exactly why I was thinking of him. I mean, uh, you know, with the, the scars on his face, you know, you, you would, uh, you know, he, he just, he, even without them, he has that, that, you know, I, I am the evil overlord kind of energy. And I don't know yeah, that absolutely. he is the evil overlord yet, but, uh, I, I can't wait to find out. Yeah, he knows up to something no good. I know I'm he's up, sure. I knew he was up to no good from the minute I met him. <laughs> yes, well, as, as you were meant to. And, and, yeah, I, yeah, he would be great. I love your description of him too. I'm sorry, go ahead. I love your description of him too. The the uh, uh, forget is like his face had been uh, uh, exfoliated and and then uh, gone over with a with a weed whacker or something. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was a cheese grater. I think was what I said. Yeah, that. Yeah. Oh man, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how that will look actually on. I've got a picture in my head, but I have a feeling it'll it'll turn out a little bit different than it uh, ends up on the screen. But you know, as long as, as long as he looks like he's sort of been through the uh, the meat grinder, uh, then that's fine. <laughs> but I think he um, uh, he basically there's been a couple different uh, theories on like who would play him. I've never heard someone say Malkovich before, though. I really like that suggestion. So, uh, so you come up with a new one. <laughs> as far as I know. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, I don't think you've met Jadis yet. No, I don't think I have. Okay. Um, well, so we'll leave that one alone. All right. <laughs> um, I think who else? Yeah, I guess I guess the, the, the major characters left are, are all sort of you know kids. Yeah, mostly I've met the kids and um, uh, the guy who runs the school for boys. Oh, Blister, Mister Blister. Yeah, I think we're going to act. Somebody in mind. There's a guy named Mister Blister. It's actually Mister Blistier. But everyone calls him the inevitable Mr. Blister, uh, which is a name he tends to merit. Um, and he runs the, uh, the Stalin Home for Boys, which is where Max lives in the beginning of the book. And, uh, he's, uh, he's kind of a scrawny, freaky dude. That's kind of the easiest way to explain him. And he, uh, and I don't really know who would play him, to be honest with you. I've actually never thought of who would, he's, he's, he's not really a major role. Um, he sort of appears in the beginning. And you'll meet him again at the end, but he sort of bookends the book. But that's that's kind of it. Well, see, um, do you, do you remember the the guy who played the father in the Back to the Future movies? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I can't think of his name. I can't think of the actor's name. I'll put it in the, the show notes. Everything yeah. I can't remember right now. But yeah, he would actually be good. Christian Glover. Christian Glover's. That's who you were thinking of. Guy oh, that's his name? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Justin Glover. Yeah. Yeah, he got thrown off the David Letterman show for uh, almost kicking David Letterman in the head. Oh, man. That's, uh... <laughs> like, I'm serious. That's a and little extreme. Started kicking, and Dave freaked out, and they cut the commercial, and they came back, he was gone. And Dave didn't even mention it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he got the hook. Uh, well, you know... So. If he's calmed down, maybe. But uh, for 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 the right energy for the part, he gets my vote. Yeah, that's, that's, that's another good call on your part. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure you're going to consult me, fly me out to California, and consult me on all of these. <laughs> you probably should. Well, 
Cool. Well, yeah, I honestly don't know how much sort of control or whatever I'll have over this if it goes through. Uh, my sense of it is, is I'll have you know some control, but ultimately I will not have full control, and certainly no control over casting. Uh, that's why they have casting directors. And yeah. People like that. Yeah, you, you're you're an author. You know, your your job is to write. Uh, you you definitely want someone whose job is to cast people who's good at it to to yeah. do to do that job. Well, I mean, I think if I had sort of the um, if I was you know had a big stick like you know say Jared or Tolkien or somebody like that, then I'd have a lot more say. Mm-hmm. So the sort of deal I could cut, you know, because these, these are all just deals and everything is negotiable. It just depends on your bargaining power. Yep. But I don't, you know, the book is the book is done well as a patio book. You know, as we said, four hundred thousand. Um, as a paper book, it's gotten maybe you know, like thirty five hundred or so uh, purchases of the actual paper book, well, uh, which is not terrible, but it's not huge. You know, it's certainly not. Uh, you know, for because I should also mention I published it through Lulu dot com. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get the book on Amazon or Lulu.com. Um, but it's just, but I basically self-publish it to Lulu.com. There is some talk with a couple of big publishers to pick it up, but that hasn't happened yet. Um, so in terms of actual raw sales of the book, you know, it's not a blockbuster, so I don't have the kind of, you know, and the pod, and as far as the TV people are concerned, audio, you know, podcast doesn't exist. It doesn't even factor into their world. So, right. um, so, you know, it's, it's, People have read it and really loved it, but it hasn't, you know, proven itself in the marketplace yet. So I'm not coming in with a huge bargaining position. So therefore, I probably won't get a lot of control, um, which is, you know, kind of a bummer. But, um, you know, it could increase over time. It all, it all just sort of depends on who I end up working with. So Okay. Um, well, uh, uh, last question for the day. Uh, it's actually a two-parter. Uh, was this your first book? And, uh, and then tell me a little about the, uh, the next book. Um, this was my first book, actually. Um, uh, my first real book. I mean, I, I wrote one when I was like 12, which I don't really count. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, this is, this is, you know, the first real one. And, uh, I, I tried to write for years and, and bottom line is that I, I just couldn't get past like page 10 on anything, uh, for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden this idea came to me and, and I just I was on page 30 before I knew what happened. And I was kind of surprised by that, to be honest. And, um, and I just, I just kept, I just kept going with it. And, um, it took me a little under a year to write. And I pretty much blasted it out in like six or seven 12 hour marathons, uh, the raw guts of it. And then, uh, and I went back and sort of did some editing and tweaking and things like that. Uh, but, you know, sort of the most of it came out was those, uh, those long sessions. Um, and, uh, and then the second book, um, the second book is a lot more, the first book was a lot more by the seat of my pants. Uh, wasn't really hugely planned out. I had, a, I had a rough kind of idea of an outline of what was going to happen, but I didn't totally know everything. Um, and uh, the second book I knew a lot more before I sat down and wrote the first page even. Because um, in fact, I was thinking about the second book while I was writing the first one. Um, so you'll find that there are lots of things that are dropped in the first book that aren't, there's some threads you, know, you do get a good conclusion in the first book, but there's a lot of threads still open that aren't taken care of. Um, and the second book really expands on that. Uh, there's a lot of things about Max's history. There's a lot of things about um, his secret, which you'll learn more about as you go through the book. Uh, there's a lot of things. It's, it's obviously a much larger book. Uh, there are two interweaving storylines. Uh, kind of two of the characters go off one direction, two of them go in the other direction. 
um, and at the end they reunite. Uh, so it's it's kind of set up. I was thinking of a structure sim- similar to like The Empire Strikes Back, where you kind of have two things going on. Um, things don't necessarily go right, but you learn a lot. So, you know, Luke gets his hand chopped off, <laughs> but he finds out that Darth Vader's his father, and you know, and so you've learned a lot, even though you haven't really you haven't taken down Darth yet, uh, or the Empire by any stretch of the imagination. Things kind of go wrong, but you know, you, you learn a lot along the way. Excellent. Travelers is really that kind of a novel. Excellent. Well, I I can't re- can't wait to uh, read it, and. Uh, uh, you know, experience it for myself. I'm assuming you're going to uh, podcast Travelers if you're not busy in Hollywood. Yeah, I have to. Uh, the, both. Uh, the only reason I'm sort of hanging on to the two Travelers right now is because um, there are some talks with book publishers, um, and they just take forever talking to these people. But um, there are some talks with them about publishing the first book, in which case uh, they would prefer if I had an unpublished second book ready to go. Um, and so I, I, I'm sort of waiting to see what happens with that. And also the television stuff, uh, I'm sort of holding back on it until I know more about, you know, basically if I publish it, that I weaken my, you know, my negotiating position, bottom line. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to be smart about it and not sort of throw it out there beforehand. On the other hand, I realize there's a lot of people waiting for it, and I don't want to, like, take forever to, to throw it out there. I don't want to be like, you know, Boston publishing an album every seven years or something like that. So it's sitting at my desk. I'm looking at it right now, and I would love to get it out there. Believe me. Um, so it all depends on. But I, the good news is, all this stuff should resolve in the next like month or two, and I should know exactly what's going on. So if it goes well, then um, you know it'll come out through a major publisher. Um, I don't know when, but probably by the end of the year. Um, if it doesn't go well, then uh, I'll throw it out there myself again through Lulu.com, and uh, you know, and you'll all have it a little sooner. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, and I'll probably podcast it at that point too. So I, I've got to wait and see sort of what's going on first before I before I make a a move that I can't recall like that. So. Excellent. Well, Mark, I want to thank you very much for joining us here on the ADD Cast. And thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. And uh, now we're going to uh, cut over to uh, a segment from uh, our interview with Mark Jeffrey, T. Morris, and Scott Sigler. And now for our special event, we have with us tonight all three of the fathers of the podcast novel, the Podia book, if you will, in studio, Mr. T. Morris. Hello, good evening, and how the hell are you? He is the uh, author of the podcast book, Moravi, as well as uh, the author of several other books. Not po- turned into podcasts yet, but we're, but we're working on, we're, we're, we're in development for a new one. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, also joining us, uh, Mr. Mark Jeffrey. Good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this. It's like a Truman Show kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is the uh, the author of The Pocket and the Pendant, also the podcaster thereof, and has uh, uh, a new uh, book coming out, The Two Travelers. Yep. Uh, is that also going to be podcasted, Mark? Uh, to be decided. Don't know yet, but probably, yes. And uh, where are you joining us from? I am in Santa Monica, California. Ah, a long, long way away. Yep. A- and uh, and not too far from you, at least uh, with regard to T&I. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. The, the rock star <laughs> of the podcast novel, Mr. Scott Sigler. Hello, gentlemen. 
Hi, Scott. Gentlemen? Where? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking around. <laughs> I don't see no gentleman here. Uh, Scott is the, uh, the author and podcaster of EarthCore, Ancestor, and the, the currently running podcast novel, Infection. Yep, that's all of them. Yep, and uh, tonight in studio, T and I will be enjoying uh, a lov- lovely bitter beer chosen uh, for my in-studio guest <laughs> in particular. We are drinking, I am referring to, of course, Arrogant Bastard. You have to be an arrogant bastard to be part of this company. I mean, you got the three founding fathers of patio books right here in studio. And yes, I, I think it's safe to say we are all three extremely arrogant bastards because we were the first. I'm, I'm more arrogant than you are, though. Oh, real? Yeah, oh, you re- signal that. He is definitely more arrogant than everyone. <laughs> oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, that, that, that remains to be settled at the Portable Media Expo. And, and this, folks, is where it all goes down. I will take you on, Sigler, with one arm tied behind my back. You will be my bitch. You. Are we going to have a pay-per-view? Yeah. Sigler will make a chainsaw or something else out of his mouth. Let me tell you something, Sigler. Your ass is mine. Your ass is new mown grass, and I'm a lawnmower. <laughs> so uh, is this going to be like what? Mud wrestling, jello wrestling? Uh... Actually, when, when it comes to describing the three of us, this is the way I think we, uh, I think this is the way the, the three of us all fall into place. And I'm going to put it in terms of NASA. Um, I was the first person to actually do a patio book. I was the first person to do it from cover to cover. So that makes me the, um, the Alan Armstrong of patio books. Then you got Mark Jeffrey. Mark Jeffrey, he, um, you know, he's done a lot with Pocket Independent. I mean, he's gotten the downloads and he's, he's gotten the notoriety. So he's the John Glenn of, 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 uh, of patio books. Then you got Scott Sigler, fucking Neil Armstrong. He got, he got his ass to the moon and back again. And he's got the footprint right there on Adam Curry's ass that basically says, yes, I was here. And, um, you will know who I am. So that's the way I kind of break down the three of us. Uh, comments, questions? All right, a NASA analogy. I wasn't expecting that, but that's, let's, let's roll. <laughs> <laughs> get Apollo 13 in there. I think we're doing all right. <laughs> uh, we should probably mention Yvo uh, Terra. Uh, is sort of the, uh, the complete the astronaut analogy. Who's the dude who went up, uh, did the orbit around the Earth first? The orbit around the Earth? Oh, wow, that's a good question. I don't know. Doesn't Evo kind of look like, does it? But, doesn't Evo kind of look That's like Sputnik? Can we go with that? Well, actually, no. I would say he. Well, actually, Evo, Evo, I, I, he's Mission Control. Yeah. Because we basically had right. to follow. We had to follow Evo's rules. Now, if you go with the, I mean, Evo is really the one who like sort of cajoled a lot of us into doing. I mean, I don't know if the story is with UT, but I know he basically cajoled me into doing it. Uh, oh, more. really? Okay, then, then he's then he is definitely. We, I guess I guess it'd be safe to call him Mission Control. Now, if you're looking I for, the, give him props for that. For that, so. Oh, absolutely. But now, if you're looking for the Apollo 13 analogy, I can name you the the, the patio book crew of Apollo 13. It's Jack Mangan. Um, uh, let's see. You got Jack Mangan. You got Matthew Wayne Selznick and uh, J.C. Hutchins. That's the crew of Apollo 13, the the one you'll always remember. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna just take a break real quick, guys. I, I I got some beer to drink. You guys talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, he's, he's got more beer to spill on my carpet. <laughs> Couldn't we find like a porn star analogy instead of NASA? A what? A porn Something? star analogy? Yeah, I mean, let's. let's I don't want to be Gemma Jameson. As long as we're talking amongst ourselves, I don't know about NASA. I don't know about that. The, the problem Which is, is the challenger. S- Scott, the problem with that is nobody remembers the names of the male porn stars. Uh, 
So oh, unless you guys want to be bitches, uh, <laughs> it's probably not a direction you want to go in. Yeah, I think we might just leave that one alone. Yeah, please. <laughs> Next topic. Uh, it just sounds like it's going to go south fast. <laughs> no sense of adventure amongst you all. That's fine. That's fine. All right, all right. How about mu- how about music analogy? And I know I, I know I've told I've told Scott this before. I I describe myself as classical music. I've described uh, Mark Jeffrey. Uh, I've described Mark's Mark's audio book as something along the lines of of easy listening. You know, kind of the kind of the Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, the crooners, and then you got Sigler. He's he's speed metal. <laughs> you know, the iron boot to the yeah, throat. Very speed metal. Very speed. Yeah. Metal. I, well, I I I would uh, I would say that Mark is uh, is. Is more like um, you know something more upbeat than just easy listening. Jazz, more you know, a, 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 a pop. I have this thing for pop music, oh. good pop music, but it's I it's think more like more that. Like it's, the Doors, you guys be doing a lot of drugs to come up with this stuff. He comes up. With. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Mark Jeffrey is the Pink Floyd of patio yeah, books. Actually, if I, had to, if, I had to, if I had to put something on myself, I'd say Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe, breathe in the air. <laughs> I love it. Whoo, man, getting all three. Was this a good idea, Paul? I, I think I had a good idea for this one. Yeah, you realize this is the first time all three of us have been in the same quote unquote, at least in the same podcast together. Uh, no, I was not aware of it. True. Yeah, this is first. This that is, is true. This wow, is, yeah. I had an original idea. You, you have an exclusive here, Buck. You got an exclusive. Sweet. Here. Yeah. I mean, we've all talked to each other a lot, though. I mean, oh yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and uh, you know, so like two of you get together and diss the other one. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> I mean, that's one exactly. I mean, that's one of the one of the fringe benefits of uh, of uh, it's fringe benefits, not French benefits, but it's the uh, it's it's one of the unexpected bonuses of, of of getting involved with podcasting is. You know, Mark, Scott, and I basically became friends through this whole experience, and we actually traded ideas off from one another, which was really, which was really a, a, a big bonus too. So uh, I, I consider myself very fortunate to be part of the of the Three Musketeers of Patio Books, basically. Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, from my perspective, it was definitely cool having peers that you could check out rather than just sort of being, you know, in a hole by yourself, kind of shouting out at the world. <laughs> It yeah, was really cool was, and, and and good and like really good peers too. It wasn't like you know there were like no slackers. It was totally awesome being in sort of the first class. It's it's kind of like it was, uh, it, it was an important part of it because none of nobody knew how to do any of this. We were all just uh, figuring it out as we went along. So having each other to bounce ideas off of was kind of helped all the books become what they were in the end. And since this is becoming the analogy podcast, actually, I was I was t- I was telling uh I was telling some folks at Wiley this story. What I, what I think is cool about uh, about the way Mark did his podcast, the way Scott did his podcast, and the way I did my podcast, is that we did it three different ways, and in my opinion, we nailed it. You know, all all three approaches they were they were all right. It's a little bit like um, have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Heat with uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer? No, Michael Mann film. Yeah, I've seen that movie. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, well, there's a there's a scene where Pacino and De Niro sit down for a cup of coffee, and you see two of the greatest American film actors sitting at a table having a cup of coffee, and you see De Niro doing his thing. You see Pacino doing his thing. It's two completely polar opposites approach to acting, and you know they're both right. And I think that was the way it was with us, uh, with Patio Books, the three of us. We had three completely different approaches to it, and yet all three of them worked. 
Yeah, I think it's also important to note that they weren't, it wasn't necessarily like we were doing audio books. Although, you know, in my mind, that was a piece of it. There's something about it being serialized and, and sort of in the half hour to hour per episode format, uh, or, you know, sometimes even less than that, that really, you know, that, that altered the format. It wasn't a straight audio book reading, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, you guys agree with that? <laughs> It was, it was definitely the, the episodic nature of it is what made all three of the books more successful than they would have been if they had just been released as a straight audio book. Because people could get straight audio books anywhere, but surprisingly that, that serialized format really wasn't out there anywhere. There was no one doing that on the radio. There was no one doing that in podcasting. There was none of that you know, serialized, consistent, serious, suspenseful entertainment. It was all podcasts up until we came along were pretty much people getting together in front of a microphone and chatting or a DJ-esque show. Then the three of us came out and we introduced storytelling to podcasting and that, that in keeping people waiting from week to week so they couldn't have the whole story at once is part of what nuts and part of what made all three books successful. Yeah, I remember... Yeah, actually, Sigler, I, you know, it's really weird. I, I mean, I think, I'm not sure if, I, if you saw this or not, but I actually found that my stuff got downloaded a lot more after I completed all the episodes, hmm. which surprised me. I didn't, real, I didn't think that that would happen. I think that's one of the benefits of doing the it podcast style. I mean, <laughs> if you're just doing it on the radio, you know, once, once those radio waves dissipate, they're gone. And the podcast, e- even after you're done, you, you know, it, it's out there, it's archived, and, and it can continue to grow. It can continue to snowball. I mean, the closest thing, we, the closest thing we had to, uh, to this type of modern storytelling uh, was when NPR did uh, did the radio serializations of Star Wars, but I remember that when those when those came out, I was in uh, middle school, so we're talking in the eighties, and um, they didn't see the light of day as CDs or as something that you could actually have and hold on to until the early two thousands. So we're talking nearly twenty years between a radio show and 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 the audio CDs. Whereas with podcasting, you know, with, with, with the with the invention of podcasting, I think uh, I, I think I think now we're almost seeing a, a, a step back in time to those classic days of the golden age of radio. But now it's golden age of radio on demand. Yep, and uh, and I think that's going to conclude uh, part one for us, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have part two out for you with uh, another interview with one of these fine gentlemen. Next week. A cliffhanger, guys. He's given us a cliffhanger. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. Now what we got to do is kill one of us and the other one in a dangerous situation and then go to commercial. <laughs> no, no, that only happens in your book, Scott. <laughs> www.addcast.net And remember, everybody, you can't control the stimulus, control the response.